This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome, and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain, and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. <laughs> anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care, so don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. John McEnroe. You've never been on this somehow. No. We've, ne we've never done a podcast together. We did like a four-hour podcast that wasn't taped when we were at the Vanity Fair Summer a while ago. We just talked the whole time. Yeah, that was fun. It was, un uh, it was an unrecorded version of a whole bunch of things. It was amazing. You know, it was amazing. You'll never one hear of the most unforgettable like moments those, of your yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were one of my sports heroes growing up. Not to, not to kiss your butt, but it's true. I Tell loved me more. watching you. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was great. Uh, and it was a delight to meet you and talk to you and we pick, had some pick fun your brain that weekend. Stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. a good couple of days, and then it just all then we fell apart. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what well, happened. You're in New York. You're you need to be near you know the 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 failing Knicks and and I have all a your great teams. mix of being able to spend some time in Malibu, which I love, in L.A. But I am a New Yorker at heart, obviously. So yeah. I, I get that the pain that you mentioned is getting excruciating. But uh, with most of the teams that I'm into right now, but I can't explain it. I couldn't in my wildest dreams have thought it, that it would get to this low, this bad with the Knicks. I 
you know, I mean, I could do this better job. <laughs> it actually it would have been fun if you ran them for three years. I don't, I don't know if it would have been much different. It might have been I been think better. that we would have done better. But I mean, I thought initially that that made sense that, uh, you know, the Zen master would sort of pull it together. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for a guy who has obviously got a lot of interesting things to say over the years and inspired some people and done a great job coaching, I don't get what's happened. Uh, he's, he's, he's lost it. Or Do you, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew. Some of the Knicks celebrities who go to the games are always worried to criticize the Knicks because Dolan, Dolan sometimes yeah, well, will. Yeah, Jen's been yeah. nice enough over He's the been years. Nice to every, you, right? every now and then, yeah, yeah. he'll get. I mean, you sit in, on the floor of a, a basketball game. It's one of the greatest perks yeah. you'll ever get. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. You see these athletes and the intensity and they're jawing at each other. I mean, to me, I love it. Uh, so that's you got to be, I suppose. In this case, because Jim has been criticized so many times in the past, he you know meddled in the affairs, and you know Lenny yeah. Wilkins was there a year or two, and Larry Brown, everybody it seemed like, and finally he's, I guess he listened to enough people, he decided, look, I'm, I'm going to let Phil Jackson take over. Now he's criticized, even get rid of him. Right. And he's hesitant, I'm sure, to get rid of him because he's like, look, I don't want to be the fall guy for this. I mean, for once, you know, blame somebody else. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's a good problem to have. I mean, meanwhile, the team has gone up and three times in value. God knows what it's worth. And they win 25, 30 games, which is amazing. So, um, well, yeah. every team in the league just keeps going up and up. So no yeah. matter how bad the Knicks are, they're still in New York and I mean, all the I just, NBA values go up. Yeah, I can't bear to watch the, I can't bear this a whole lot longer because, uh, this seems, um, it's gotten to be of train wreck proportions. Uh, You're barely old enough to remember 73, right? Well, I mean. The title team? Are you kidding? Of course I remember In a, a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I first started going to the Madison Square Garden probably, I'd say, 68, 67, okay. 68. There I mean, go. very rarely. I and mean, we could, my parents afford to go to a Nick or Ranger game, but I thought that happened regularly. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I thought this was going to be normal because, I mean, when you had Clyde and then they got Earl, the Pearl, and I mean, there was an amazing team and just the type of team that you look at with sort of, to some extent, Golden State, but pass first type of selfless guys that just played defense. Red Holtzman was the greatest. Everything just seemed so rosy. Willis, you know, limping out. Everything about it was amazing. So um, now, I mean, I guess the one part I feel bad about over the course of my Nick, um, uh, f- being a fan of the, the Knicks was when Patrick uh, Ewing got drafted. And I sort of, I wasn't really like a big Ewing lover in the beginning, but that was like, to me, a monumental mistake. Cause not only is he far different than what he appeared, which I should be able to relate to uh, yeah. in my own world, he seemed out to be a tremendously, I mean, I don't know him well, but just a tremendously nice per- person and just totally underappreciated. Uh, they, they brought re- he brought relevance, and uh, I mean, I wish obviously he had won a couple. But uh, that uh, I was I personally, and I think a lot of others at the time were sort of hard on him. What do you think was the lowest moment of the last forty years as the Knicks fan? What was your What was your rock bottom? Uh, somewhere was it one of the Hubie Brown years? Uh, I can't remember. In the like 80s. that mid eighties, like, like after Rory Bernard Sp- got hurt. I, I think I did. Um, charity event in Tahoe once. And I believe I'm, I don't quote me on this, but Rory Sparrow was a center fielder and I was at bat and he was so close. He was just like, you can't even hit it over my head. And I thought this guy, 
I, I've just got to pull this off. And I did, you know, I'm, I'm sure I couldn't do it now, but just this, the satisfaction of sort of and, and torching me, Roy Sparrow. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I sort of felt like around, I think he was around that time. Wasn't that the same yeah. time? I mean, it just seemed just horrendous time. Uh, and, yeah. uh, uh, and that would probably be just before Patrick got drafted. I would say that was probably the low point, although this has gotten to be so bad that um, I really felt bad for Mello. You know, I mean, I, I Mello, who's not wow. you know been on the, the highest. I mean, I, I he always seems like a nice person, and he's a heck of an offensive player. But he wasn't necessarily like that. Wouldn't have been the approach that I've made or done some of those things, even though he's a tremendous scorer. Um, but then when the way that Phil's try to sort of the way it's been handled just seems so bad that. Uh, it, I, I really, I, I made a point a couple of times of just saying to him, look, I'm, I feel that this is just totally, un, you know, one of the few times where I was close and maybe before a game starts, not like he's calling me, hey, John, how's it going? <laughs> but uh, he, just to be like, look, I, I, I just disagree with this. You don't, no one does, you, you don't deserve this. I mean, you can be criticized because you don't play enough defense. Or you know, you haven't made the guys around you good enough, but you shouldn't be criticized for sort of he's been a, a pro and he's he, I think pretty much what you saw before is what you were gonna get, and that's what he's given him. And it sparks some excitement for a while, but um he's gotten too much of the blame. He'll have one last run on a good team, I feel like. I don't know what that team is. If he's willing to leave the Knicks, yeah. I mean he better, start, have he to be better, better start thinking about it soon. Yeah, seriously. Basketball, going to a basketball game, especially with good seats, and going to, let's say, Wimbledon, and you're close. I feel like those are the two most naked sports. You can, the athletes right there, you can read their expressions, you can mm -hmm. really feed off them. You really almost feel like you have a feel for what they're actually like as a human being, which is unfair and not true, right? Um, how much is yeah. true? How much is not well, true? Well, that's uh, that's the unanswerable question because you can be that person for a brief period of time. I mean, I went out there and I was like a crazed guy. Yeah. Um, I'm not that, I mean, you could ask maybe my kids would feel differently at times <laughs> or my wife or ex-wife, but um, I don't feel like that. That's like a, a way that you've got to get yourself, uh, that you have to focus your energies and everything that you're thinking and doing into sort of trying to figure out a way to beat a guy. Yeah. And so that requires a lot of focus and concentration and things that every little thing. I mean, I was too much. I mean, there's no question. That's why I like basketball so much. It seems like they found that right mix where they're 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 into it. You can hear trash talking, but they're also having some fun. Yeah. Which is what I think the team sports have over individuals. I had a harder time just by myself being able to really appreciate the moment, you know, feeling like I'd lose my edge. That's sort of the way I grew up. Um you you can't throw out a one-liner and say something light. You might hurt yourself. Um, so that was probably, for me personally, my biggest regret while I played. That I was Connors was able to do that, which really infuriated me. He'd tell someone to blank themselves, and then the next thing you know, he'd sort of have his arm around the same guy, and he'd sort of go, "Oh, that's yeah, what yeah. Uh, I guess what you that's what you want, huh?" And they'd be laughing. I go, "How the hell does he do that?" And we'd play at the open, and he'd be somehow it'd be. He's the New Yorker. I go, wait a second. He grew up in East St. Louis. <laughs> I grew up in Douglas and Queens. And right. how the hell are they putting in the in the New York Times or any of these papers? He's like the real New Yorker. So that drove me crazy. But I respected him for it. 
I got to say that, that he was able to do that. And I respect, I mean, my guess with Federer, for example, the thing that I look at with Roger is that he loves it so much. Uh, that's the part that truly, I the one thing, if I envy something, I wish I was able to sort of- Like loves love, like being the center of attention at a match and everything that goes with it? Well, I mean, I don't think any of us dislike that, but yeah. it's just the, everything about it. And he loves to practice and he loves to travel and he loves the press conferences. He obviously loves, I mean, who doesn't want to go oh, in the center court of women? Yeah. But I mean, he'd shrug off losses a lot easier to me. I mean, to me, as I got older, they stuck with me longer. I didn't learn from them. That was what really hurt me, I think, in my career. And I didn't, the guy's got four kids and I'm thinking I couldn't juggle one, two, three. And I'm trying to figure out how to juggle the kids and be a good husband and be a good parent and failing like I'm, I'm doing a miserable job in a way. And then on top of that, my tennis is going down. So it's like everything seemed to be going in exactly the opposite way that I wanted it to go. And yet here he is where he's now 35 and he did one of the most miraculous things that I've ever seen in, in a sport or tennis at to be able to win at Australia the way he did and come from behind in the fifth set against Nadal, who was like, an, yeah. you know, the craziest competitor that makes Connors look like maybe he's tried harder than Connors, which I thought was impossible. So that, that those parts of it, I sort of wish I had, uh, yeah, but that I'm, wouldn't have made you you, though. No, I don't. I think I could have been me and uh, been a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> smelled the roses a little better. Yeah, I mean, almost like I. Well, one I, did, of the reasons I identify why, with that. Why I wrote the book, uh, in a way, is it's sort of cathartic in a way, but sort of evaluating yourself as a person as you get older, post fifty, reinvent whatever you want to call it. To get like, look, I mean, don't look at. I mean, in the beginning of the book, uh, I talk about my match. Uh, that I lost to Lendl in the 84 French, which, you know, to this day sort of haunts me in a way. And I do, when I go to Fr the French every year, I have these, like a nightmare basically, where I relive it almost. And it just, I mean, it drives me crazy in a way, but I think that each year has gone by, I, I feel like I handle it a little better. And people have those same things in their own lives. You know, it doesn't have to be the match per se, but it's like, it, what type of example am I sending to anyone, especially myself, if I'm thinking about, I should have done that instead of, hey, I did do a lot of things. Yeah. So I feel in a way, almost like tennis more, which is sort of sad now. I like getting out there and I feel like, oh, God, I'm real close. I think I can maybe can do something. Back. Well, not come back, like but US just feel Open. like I can still play, you know? Yeah. Not best of five. You know, I get tired after best one, one. I get one set, one set I'll play against, you know, at this point I'm playing guys like at times Andy Roddick. Well, he's 34 and I'm 58 and he should still be, I mean, he, he's chosen not to play in the circuit because he didn't like the traveling. It's a lot of the stuff that goes along with it that I was saying Roger did like. Yeah. And that drove Andy in a way out of the game. Cause to me, he'd still be top 20 in the world. Yeah. So what the hell is he playing me? Um, so that drives me a bit crazy, but, um, <clears throat> At the same time, I feel fortunate that at least I'm at least remotely a couple times sort of not that far away from at least having a good comp competition while hopefully putting on a good show. But I know my days, you know, I've been lucky. It's 40 years since I played Wimbledon. Yeah. My first Wimbledon when I was 18 years old. So the fact that I can even sit here and say that I'm walking out on a tennis court in a reasonably one piece, when you think of football players, for example, whose average lifespan is 20 years less than the average person around my age. Yeah. And I've known a fair amount of football players that are like cripples, these poor guys. And so I consider myself fortunate uh, in a way when I take a look back, I remember times where 
I was thinking that tennis on the one hand was a bit of a sissy type thing. And, you know, it was like the upper class. I mean, everyone looks at it that way. Obviously golf and tennis. I was like, golf, are you kidding? They don't even run in golf. I mean, Jesus. It's a classy. Not that, not that it's not the toughest game, like way tougher than yeah. tennis. It's crazy. I mean, it's an insane game. But uh, that these guys, uh, <laughs> and you get a football player, like, and I'm thinking to myself, these, I, I was at a couple of games back when my buddies were playing uh, the Bears way, way back when in 86 when they played the Giants in the playoffs and it was 17 below zero on the field. And I'm thinking to myself, thank God I'm a tennis player. Thank the good Lord. This, start to appreciate this more. Instead of whining about it, it seems like it's a bit, you know, upper class and which, which I've always wanted to change, but it just hasn't changed. It's, if anything, it's more difficult in a way. It's more expensive. And that's sort of our society in a microcosm is similar to tennis because uh, the rich have gotten richer um, and it's more difficult to be able to afford it. And that's one of the things I've been wanting or trying to change in New York with my tennis academy because it's just the best athletes are playing basketball or playing football or the size of a tennis court. They're putting 20 kids kicking a soccer ball and they think that, oh, yeah, they know how to play soccer. They kick it. Well, tennis isn't that simple. You know, it's, uh, you can't bluff that you can play and just kick it around. You need, it's a lot harder to get over the initial hump. So this cuts out like 99% of the people. That's, you know, people always, what, how, where's the next American, you know, champion? Well, let's try to give the, some of these kids a chance to do it. And I think we could succeed. There's one other factor that it, I don't hear mentioned a lot, but I went through the thought process with my daughter who's 12 now. And she's a soccer player, but she could have played a bunch of different sports. And tennis, she was just naturally good at, and she's tall. And you look at it as a parent and you go, my kid loves being on teams. She loves having teammates and just being part of something bigger than just one person. And tennis is lonely. And you're out there all the time. And yeah. it's like five, six, seven hours. I, My wife and I talked about it. And neither of us felt like she had the kind of personality to just be like, I'm by myself, just banging balls does it does it take a certain type of personality to succeed yeah i mean <clears throat> excuse me uh, i think part of the issue with tennis is that in addition to it you're out there by yourself and the loneliness of it and the difficulty of being able to handle a loss for example because you got no other teammates to sort of cry right put your it's shoulder. just you now they're saying well they got to focus on it exclusively uh, this is in all sports, but you're, I think this is that every I completely like that. disagree with it. As a matter of fact, I believe that part of the reason why I ended up eventually becoming the best player in the world is that I had other experiences playing basketball, for example. <clears throat> I played played um, four years of soccer. All, yeah. all those movements helped me in tennis, but more importantly, hmm. it helped me with sort of friendships. It helped me with dealing with people um, so I could maybe people didn't see it at first, but hopefully growing up and, you know, trying to figure out <laughs> life, my, my way of growing up might've been a little different than most, but th now they're in, a, in addition to that, on top of this, they're homeschooling kids. So they're, they're not, they're already isolated when they're in the tennis court, then they're further isolated. They, they're homeschooled. Right. And so these people don't have a function in society in a way, and they're just awkward and they're not able to grow up and they can't handle the success. The 1.1% that have it anyway. So that makes no sense. Right. Um, now uh, my final thing that I sort of really hopefully will change also is the idea that this need, Oh no, 
you go to college is terrible, terrible for your tennis. There's no players that can play and it's, it's a step down. And that at some point was true. And it's also, maybe it is somewhat true that the competition level is obviously far less than it would be if you were trying to hit the circuit, the minor leagues. Yeah. Now, it's arguable either way. It's not like the minor leagues is some unbelievable thing. But the uh, players in tennis and even women, uh, girls, uh, used to be, they peak would, they could start at 16 and peak at 25. Now you're, and men would be, say, 18 and 19 to late 20s. Now you're seeing that it's probably, with even the girls, they may be sort of coming into their own 2021 and lasting to 30, say, mm. and the guys are 22 to 32. So it's all the more reason to allow them to develop as human beings. Because it's not going to change the world. Look how tough it is for guys to try to win majors now at 20. You know, Becker won Wimbledon at 17. Vlander won uh, the French at 17. This is in the 80s. Uh, yeah. Michael Chang in 1989 won it. Nadal was 19, I believe, when he won the French. Um, Djokovic was 19 when he won uh, the Australian. But basically, few and far between for the most part. Even Roger, I believe, was 22 when he won his first major. It's we're, not, getting, we're not sure he's human, though. That I that I agree with. I don't think he bleeds. Um, there's there's always rumors of a, a UFO dropping him off like 28 years I can ago see or that. something. I mean, the it's guy loves everything. I mean, yeah. I remember recently he was playing the uh, semis. Uh, this was not this past open, the one before, and he's he. I always found it difficult because you're following the first match. So you know that match could be an hour and a half. It could go yeah. four hours. So you're trying to figure out when to eat and sort of rev up. So this match is going very quickly. I think Djokovic was beating Chilich real badly. And I go, Roger, doesn't that piss you off that like you obviously, you know, they want you out there? He's like, No. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the fans will get to see me sooner. Yeah. And, and you know, you're like, he we, has a way of saying something that's pretty cocky. Like, and you're like, but it just sounds he's right on. And he also just says it in a way you can't help but like the guy, because he's like, How did you do that shot? They'll ask him on the it was pretty amazing, was it? And I, <laughs> I was, and, and I he's feel right, like, though. He is right. It is amazing. I feel like he's become an honorary American. Certain a, certain athletes from other countries be, are so beloved here that it's almost like we've adopted them. Like him and Usain Bolt, I feel like, are the honorary well, Americans. That yeah, we have. he's that way the whole, all around the world. Yeah, I mean, he's like he, every play he everywhere he plays is is a home. Like if he made a run at the U.S. Open this year. The crowds would respond the same oh, way yeah. that they would have with you and Connors or anybody from America in their primes. Oh, no. There's no question. There's no especially question. since we don't have Americans. You know, if we had an American <laughs> playing especially in there's the no semis, if, I, if we had, like, so, say, Francis Tiafa, who's an up-and-comer who's got a shot at doing something pretty big, um, if he was playing, somehow got to the semis this year and he's playing Federer, I mean, I'd be trying to tell these people, look, the guy, he's got 18. Is that enough? I mean, maybe, right. maybe this poor guy won. Yeah. Possibly so, but it's amazing how people don't. They, they uh, we've the Americans have given up on America. Oh, please let me yeah. get one more with Roger. I'm like Roger, Jesus. Yeah, let's get an American. Let's get somebody else in here. I'm I not, like your college thing though. I think it's smart because yeah. look at it this way: the last 20 years didn't work. That's for we're sure. Do, we're doing something wrong. So if if part of the rationale is no, no, don't go to college; it's inferior competition. Well. The other way didn't work either. So maybe you're right. Maybe we do need to. Well, and also maybe it's we, key to prepare somebody emotionally and intellectually no and get them ready. That, that's true. A lot like Isner went to four years of college. He's been yeah. our best American. Um, Steve Johnson was the greatest college player in history. He won the I think he won like 70 straight matches, but he learned to compete. 
Steve Johnson in some ways is limited, especially compared to what the top players are, but yet yeah. he's a hell of a competitor. So he's gotten to 25 in the world. There's some basketball similarities with this, right? Like Steph Curry is at college three years, has a big stage in March Madness, has a couple great moments and that confidence. You know, Draymond you can Green went four years. Draymond. Yeah, um, it's not all the time, but there are some no, good examples I mean, of it. Uh, I'm, uh, Tim Duncan, that's yeah. a pretty good example, right? Big uh, fundamental. So I, 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 I laugh because that's exactly the type of person you'd want in you know your in wildest tennis. dreams. Yeah. Well, you'd yeah exactly. And so the the fact that people don't think that makes sense. You know, in Europe it's different. They don't have the college system that's set up. Apparently, there's not the opportunity or the excellence in, in a lot of the colleges. And maybe there's more traveling. I don't know the full Maybe some of it's money too, right? If you can turn pro and you're 19 and you're finishing second or fourth or fifth in some well, tournaments, you're making thing. some cash. If you're, if, if you're finishing in, in the top, that's one thing. I mean, no one's saying if you're 10 in the world, you know, I went, I was 21 in the world when I entered college. Yeah. So uh, I'm an anomaly. Uh, they wouldn't, no one in the, ever would have done that. The, the highest ranked person that's gone in since is probably 400. <laughs> right. So, um, but, but that turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made because it allowed me sort of time to gather myself uh, and to, um, prepare for what the rigors of the tour would be. I mean, a lot of them are great, but you have to sort of prepare for the constant traveling and the you're in all different parts of the world. And, and also because I had reached a pretty high ranking already, I was sort of the hunted in college. So that was good preparation to how it would be when I was on the pros, everyone yelling at me and screaming, you were bum. Yeah. Um, when what was the first tournament when you made a splash when people were like, Oh no, this guy, tennis is new bad boy. Wimbledon. Listen, that was like uh, 1977. Okay, I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna guess 78, but 77. No, it was my first, my first Wimbledon. I sort of came from nowhere and um, the big, big fro. Uh, did you have the fro at that? No, when did you fully well, I fro was, out? I, I, I just, it, it depended. I, I always wanted straight hair uh, because I looked at it's a couple of the guys I really looked up to were Vetus and Bjorn. I mean, Vetus's yeah. was a little wavier, but uh, Bjorn's had the straight one, and my hair when it was wet and I was out of the shower and combed it down, it was like below my shoulders, but they're like froed out. So right. it drove me crazy. <laughs> so then I decided after a couple of years of that, of looking like uh, Bozo the Clown or something. Right. I better go with the shorter look that's got a, like a natural wave. So that worked a little better. The, the 77 Wimbledon, were they mean to you? Were no. they like, who the hell is this guy? They didn't know me. So it okay. was great. The first year was such a crazy time in London with sort of the whole punk scene was happening. Oh, yeah. And I just, it was freak, freaky there. I thought they, th I was like, they think I'm not weird. You know, or they call me a punk. I'm like, go down King's road and tell me what you, what you see there. So I found it humorous. I actually had the time in my life. No one knew who I was. I was competing, winning, beating guys that I didn't think I'd beat. I was making my way through the tournament. The guy that had- Did you think you could be number one at that point? I didn't think about it. You had it. no idea? No. I, well, I had, uh, when I was 13, I played an event in Chicago and a guy wrote an article. I didn't know who the guy was, but it turns out he was an ex-tennis player. And yeah. he said, I watched this national 14 and under indoors. And of all the people I see, I saw this one kid and I lost fairly early in the tournament. I predict in five to seven years, he's going to be number one in the world. So that threw me for a loop a little bit. So I did have a couple, and then Harry Hopman, who was an inspiration. Could you get girls from that article or no? No. Okay. Not even 21 Too in the bad. world of Stanford. Uh, you <laughs> still, still wasn't working. I thought that was going to real. I was Man. like, all right, now I've got go. it made. And then I thought, oh my God, they don't care at all. Yeah. So I got to get it to at least top five. 
if so, not higher. So when did that start? Like that 78, started, well, 79? It, took me about, it didn't take too long, but by the end, I turned. I went to college for a year. I turned pro in May of 78. By the end of 78, I had reached the top. I mm. believe I was five or six in the world, and I, I won the Masters. You know, we used to play our year-end top eight finishers at Madison Square Garden, which for me was like a dream I remember come that. True. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, for me as a kid going to Nick games and my first concert, Led Zeppelin concert, and the Rangers and... I'm sitting here going, this is too good to be true. There's 19,000 people when I go out and play Borg at Madison Square Garden or Connors. The first time I beat Connors after losing to him four times in a row was um, at the Garden. He quit on me when I was a set in Three Love Up, and I just was like, that's too bad. You just quit because you were going to lose. And so, because he was trying to take it away from me, I felt yeah. like. And I was like, the hell? So I just said, made a point of putting my arms up and. I listen. I, I support care. all Connor's bashing on this podcast. I Do was you? always Team Johnny Mac from day one. Oh, that's good. We had to, you had to pick. In my opinion, you couldn't have both. And then when you guys, when when you had lulls in your career in the mid '80s, and you became the older guys, you felt bad I, for both of us. No, I just gradually kind of accepted of <laughs> Connor's. Well, because that Lendl's a lot tennis. older. He's a lot older than me. So I mean, he had a tremendous yeah. career. Uh, and I respected Connors. Uh, I didn't like him, but I respected him nah, because come on. he gave a. Don't was, even give he, him he respect. Was, he was like I Pete give him Rose. Nothing. You know, I thought him and Pete, him and Pete Rose were twins. Yeah. Somehow they're the exact same person. Played terrible the exact ball same haircut. Way. Terrible ball haircut. Just so intense. It was just beyond belief. You right. Know? Just when Pete Rose ran over that poor guy in the All Star game. And then that's how Connors was. He just felt He's like- He's relentless. Well, for you, relentless. it's frustrating because you were like a genius. The ceiling of your best game was just going to be better than Connors. But he was always going to be calm and calm and calm and calm. It was infuriating to him. But he tried well, it was infuriating you if you lost. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was- uh, it's, I mean, of all the guys I played against, I don't think there's ever been a guy. Maybe Chang was close and- um, uh, I've seen a couple other guys that bring that all out. The uh, Nadal is is the le- modern yes, day uh, Connors. People don't realize how extraordinarily difficult that is, and how that is your biggest single quality by far in a sport. If you can bring it in every point, like it's the last one you're going to play. If you can do that, you could not know what the hell you're doing, and you'll be top fifty in the world easily. That's why Julio Cesar Chavez at his peak. I still think was pound for pound the scariest boxer because he was like Connors. He just he's just coming. You you can't breathe. He's he's on you. You should Punch, have mentioned but, that to his son when he before he. Well, fought, that both, uh, oh, that was we knew he that forgot, was he hard, forgot his father probably god. was like, oh he's my god, he's got to be so disappointed. This is the opposite of what I did. Let's go back to seventy seven though, because that's my that's my favorite year for any city, and it kills me to say it as a Boston fan, but. New York in 77, there's just so much going on. And then you throw in London there, you went there where the punk rock scene's just yeah. going crazy. But then in New York, you had so all the music, you had Saturday Night Live, yeah. you you had the disco scene has taken off. <laughs> you that had wasn't my scene. The Yankees and yeah. Reggie Jackson. I mean, there's like you could go through it for a month, all the things that are going on. And then you're coming out of there too. You know, the probably the last local New York. Well, that totally changed my, we're gonna that, have. That, that totally changed my life. Um, I went there as a total nobody. I missed my high school graduation. I uh, didn't go to the prom, but I was sent to Europe to play the French in Wimbledon for the juniors. And the next thing, you know, I come back and people knew who I was, and I was like the super brat guy. Yeah, uh, which surprised me because I was amazed people even knew that I was. Uh, Plain. Uh, it just it did. You didn't get that it would translate. I mean, now it, 
people listening probably, what are you talking about? You can find out anything in two seconds. Yeah. But in those days, it, it, it just, how the hell did they? Because I thought they were just these sort of writers in England. They were sort of starting to get on me. They, it wasn't, it was only at the very end when I played um, in the quarterfinals, which is my first sort of the second biggest stadium in Wimbledon. And I got upset. And the first time I ever questioned a call and people were actually watching and saw me get upset. And so I thought it was funny when they first were booing me. I thought, hey, why are they booing me? I mean, I don't get it. I'm the one that's just lost a set. I pissed at myself and I, you know, I try to snap my racket. And then it just all just exploded from there. I could, it, nothing was ever the same after that for me. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. What's frustrating for me as as a diehard Johnny Mac fan, it, the, the tantrums became part like in the first sentence of when people talked about you as a tennis player. And I was always like, that should be like second, third, fourth paragraph, whatever. Yeah, people got mad. Eh, There's a couple things, but it was like. I've just never seen anyone play tennis like you, you know. And I think there's a very small. Sorry to blow a lot of smoke I know, up I your need butt you here. I know. my publicist. I know. It's just like, <laughs> I don't I've never know. had one, but I feel like uh, you got any free time the next. <laughs> well, but it's like, you know, Tiger is the same thing. Like, it's not just that we lost Tiger and this is sad what's happening to him, but it was like, I've never seen anybody play golf like him. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I, I think all of us have been trying to replace it since he left. All these guys are great. All this next wave out, oh, Dustin Johnson and you go through, but it's like, all I know is when Tiger was playing golf and he was on, I, I was watching. There was nothing else I wanted to do on the planet other than watch him play golf. You had that. And then you had Borg, who was his own, like, we've never seen anybody like him either. There's pieces of Federer, I guess. But uh, I think I think mostly Borg is a unique prototype that has not been replicated. Is that fair? I think that's fair, yeah. He's had this aura and this just look that was just tremendous. Um, and in- a style to him. And ne- he never really said anything. In 40 years uh, or 50, I've been watched tennis. Only once did I ever see this. I was watching Wimbledon once, and there was about 300 screaming girls outside the locker room. 
And I thought to myself, I want to be a tennis player. <laughs> right. um, I was probably 14 or 15 years old. I'd never been to London and Borg was coming out and it was like the beat. I mean, the equivalent, I mean, yeah, not comparing it, but that type of Beatlemania, it was like totally girls crying and sh never has that happened to anyone before or since. So there was something unbelievable. It was almost like One it. Direction. I, like I, One Direction I, I, now is like Harry Styles. Well, well, maybe it is, but it's something like that where you can't believe what how the people are reacting to him without him even seemingly doing anything. And maybe the less he did, the more crazy people went. 2, 2 a.m. in the morning, 1978, him and Vetus Gerolaitis decide they like the same girl who gets her. Uh... <laughs> There would be more than one of them around, I would guess, if they were both. But they, it was they only, both settled on the same only, brunette. If it was only one, I would say that it would be an easy, easy one. Borg. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, because Vetus was a legend, though. Vetus was a legend, but he didn't seem to care that much. Vetus would just say, he was just give it to him. It's going to happen anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'll just wait around a few more minutes. Um, I don't think that uh, that that was a problem they had. Uh, you know, to sort of doing that. They had all types of options. Vetus uh, was one of the 30 for 30s, 30 for 30s when I was there, when we were creating the series, development, all that stuff. Vetus was always, I thought, one of the great sports docs that could happen. Because he seemed it like- does, is it not I hope it does happen. Because it's- Maybe it's, at some point. Maybe it's too late. Uh, I, I don't, don't think know. it's too late. It's never too late, right? He was, so you had that whole class of guys, right? Which would just never be recreated or I don't think reassembled so. Not, ever. You know, because those days there was- I, And the I, era combined with the guys. The era and then you know, the money wasn't as uh, nearly as crazy. Uh, and so you didn't maybe correlate, oh, I'm blowing God knows how much money if I do something stupid, like right. stay out all night at Studio 54. Because we, our goal was to like, to me, in a way, was we wanted to be the greatest tennis players we could be, but we also wanted to sort of be able to try to burn and burn burn both ends of the candle. Yeah, you know, we wanted our cake and eat it too, or attempt it. We were going to do a hell of a job trying. It was and like the LeBron, Wade, Carmelo, all those guys. If you put them in 1977, and they were up all night, and disco had started in New York City, and nobody knew what was bad for you, and you're just going. I think that's it. I mean, I heard that uh, Michael uh, Jordan, I don't know this to be true, but I heard that he used to like go down to, you know. Oh, yeah, be, gamble on you that. You know, gamble yeah. on. Well, no, that, that is true. I'm, I'm guessing that's not the healthy, healthiest thing the night before. <laughs> Probably not. No. But it didn't seem to matter when he beat up on the Knicks <laughs> um, or uh, most everyone else. And somehow he did it. But I don't. I think that that would be a tougher. It would even seem twenty years later you, uh, that that would be tougher to pull off or too many people are around or taking your pictures. And they'd be like, how dare. Like when. Um, What's his name? Beckham did it uh, right with the Giants. It it was like the stu it, it feels like the stupidest thing ever. You know, you go rent a boat in Miami, although that maybe doesn't have one iota what has to do with the game. But then you go to Green Bay where it's, you know, it's seven degrees. And then you wonder why you drop three balls. Uh, and you're thinking, well, they're going to blame it on the fact that you went there. If you caught them, no one would have said a word. Yeah. So if you do it, you better back it up. Chicken egg thing. That was too bad because I think I, I was like, oh, God. Uh, he's gonna mm. he's gonna have a bad game, and they're just gonna be on him. And he could have shut him up, but he just had to do that. That he do this, and now it's just gonna continue. He's like the Nick Kyrgios of uh, football. Mm. You know, Nick Kyrgios is probably of all the tennis players around could be the he's the best and most talented of any of them. Unbelievable talent, but this they forget the mental part is 
the is self-destructiveness is i know you know it's not like i don't know something about this and so yeah. you try to tell these guys in a way look i mean this is just this you're going down the wrong path here you know you try to say it in a nice way or you, you if or you try to be truthful like i don't want to be a commentator where i'm like bsing and you see him throwing a match you know and and he technically he may not be tanking it but we know damn well everyone in tennis that he's not giving it the effort if that's the one thing I can't watch when I commentate. It's like people not giving it that. You always call that, it out. I don't like that. that yeah. I, I can understand having bad days and I can understand you freeze in front of people. All types of things happen that you don't want to happen. You prepare for much, so long and then you just lay an egg. It's the worst feeling in the world. But if you don't give an effort, you start to walk away. That is a tremendously bad feeling for yourself, but just a total black eye. Yeah. All right. So late seventies, who's the class of guys? It's you and Borg Connors, but he's already, he married Yvonne's a playmate. A, a younger Yvonne, than me. He's oh, you younger. As, as far as just that oh, group. I just try to stay around this. Are you kidding? Like being no, who around do you, Vitas. I'm just Vilas, saying like, Vilas to some degree. Oh yeah. Vilas. Um, Nastasi, is he involved there? Around is he hanging out? Yeah. He hangs the out. The mad Hungarian? He's actually Romanian. Romanian, the bad Romanian. Yeah. What he, was his nickname? The Romanian uh, something. No, I think that was. I think he's just nasty. You know, he called me macaroni. He's the only guy that <laughs> called me macaroni. <laughs> and he'd go up to girls, which was you know the the dumbest thing ever to me. He'd be like, "Are you gonna sleep with him or not?" You know, I go, "Do you think maybe possibly we could have a little more tact than that?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go crazy here, but do you think maybe that's the wrong thing to say? But he'd say it to every one of them. You know, nine out of 10 would slap him in the face and the other 10th would leave with him. Uh, the 10th one. So I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but you but know. is it a good thing to have like that cluster of great guys? Cause you're all measuring each other. Like that had to have helped you. <laughs> measuring each other off oh, the not, court? Not, or no, on the court. On the court. Um, well, and maybe Vetus, off the court too. Vetus, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, what I, that's what I thought you were saying. Um, Vetus and Bjorn were very good. They were probably the be best friends. I looked up to Vetus. Yeah. He was like the coolest guy in the world to me. He really did seem like uh, the coolest guy. I met him when I was, say, 12. And he was like the coolest guy at the Port Washington Tennis Academy. I go, how does this guy just had everything, it seemed like. I mean, yeah. you know, the long hair. He just had the charisma. The girls played. He was the best. Never seemed to get tired. Unbelievably. Fit. It's like, wow, this is, the, I got to try to somehow... Uh, get to the point where I'm somewhere like around him or yeah. uh, get close to him. And I mean, to his credit, um, he didn't have to do this because we were from, we were both from Queens. And then I mean, the first open we ever played uh, either one of us that we got to the finals, we played each other and I beat him pretty handily. And it's sort of, I was 20, he was 24. So that was a tough one for him to take. I'm assuming uh, God rest his soul. Yeah. And later on, he, he says, what are you doing? Um, you want to come with me basically to Studio 54 or whatever it was. And I'm like thinking yes. to myself, yes, because I know whatever he's doing is going to be a whole or has set up. It's going to be a whole lot better than what I had set up, yeah. which was not very much. So this, but you know, here's where I just lost him in the, he beat, he lost to me in the finals of the U.S. Open. So most guys aren't going around and hang around each other. So he hmm. always felt like he almost was more important that he, be your friend than sort of beat you, even though he beat, he never beat Borg. He barely beat, he made the 
greatest line ever when he lost, he beat Connors, you know, no one beats Vitas Carolina 17 times in a row, <laughs> which is what he said, which has got to be the greatest line ever at, at, at Madison Square Garden. And then with me, he won, he, he had a better record, but not a good record, you know, he had a couple wins, but uh, it almost seemed like that was something. And I know he was burning with ambition also, but it didn't seem quite as much as some of the other guys, but that was, I felt lucky because I sort of walked into where tennis was sort of exploding in the late yeah. 70s and into the 80s. And I was um, a magical time. Um, it was a lot, a lot like of boxing. Interest. When yeah. boxing has those clusters where like all of a sudden you have Hagler and Leonard and Hearns and all these guys and or in the heavyweights in the 70s with Ali and Frazier and everybody. And- it's like ten- it's like boxing, you know, boxing right now. It's It's been uh, people barely talk about it. And we have the two we have the two greatest players that ever lived playing right now, Nadal and Federer, and we're not getting much exposure. And people. So do you think that's because of longevity they're the greatest players ever or because they're playing at the highest level ever or both? Well, both, but okay. I mean, they obviously have equipment that if we played with that equipment, we would have played differently also. Yeah. We, we look like we're in slow motion. What about, like, what kind you of know, sneakers like were you wearing? the old uh, NFL compared right. to... What well, sneakers were you wearing in '79? Well, they couldn't like have been the, that healthy. Yeah, actually, no. I mean, but these cushions—I'm not convinced the things that have cushions. Um, we're both wearing like Converse, which is owned by Nike. I believe those are yeah. Converse, but um, they look like them. And they um, are. those, to me, is some of the greatest sneakers ever, most comfortable. And that—that that was more or less the equivalent of what we used to play, and just like basketball yeah. players used to play in those. And uh, sometimes I like that feeling of being sort of low to the ground and feeling the ground. Um, it. When you got in the air, you started, I'd twist my ankle more often and got in some trouble. Even as your body starts to get crickety and older and you're like, oh, this is great. We've got a little cushion, but I'm that, not- That's con- why clay is great. Well, clay is good in, 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 in that way. I in mean, it blows, in a, it blows in, a pl- in plenty of other ways. Yeah. Know? Like you can't, you can't, <clears throat> you can't move on it the way you can move. Like you can't go out and um, stop and start. Like on a bat, I mean, I look at these basketball guys and I think, God, they're so lucky. I I do re- sort of resent, not resent it, but I wish we had it. Well, we had indoor majors and it would be seventy degrees and perfect. You know, go give those give and goes or those alley oops where you're slipping the first step, you slip on the clay. Like they just picture what they're doing, play on clay. Yeah, it wouldn't be quite so simple. We wouldn't look like quite so bad. How tough it is to do that. So we put ourselves in in tennis in extremely difficult positions to showcase ourselves the best we can, unlike some of the other sports. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I didn't want to throw a bunch of tennis. I, I want to go back to the 80s in a second, but I just I didn't want to forget this idea. I think there should be a doubles major. 
A doubles major. I, I think part of the problem with sports just in general is that we just get stuck on the way we did it 40 years ago and we never try to innovate and go. And I think the NBA schedule is a good example of that, right? Why is it 82 games? Because they decided in 1970 it was 82 games. Doesn't mean it should be 82 games now. It should probably be like 70. But like with, with tennis, I really like doubles. I think it's fascinating. You were probably the best of all time at it. You were just great at it. And um, it was fun watching you play doubles. I think it'd be fun watching other people play doubles. And at the majors, it's an afterthought. And it's this thing you also do. And should you keep that? Eh, oh, yeah, I'm going to play doubles. And Serena, it's like in her spare time, she's winning right. the doubles title. I would like to see an actual doubles major that would almost be like how we're doing with this Olympics three and three basketball thing, which will be a disaster the first year. But then by 2028, I think it'll actually be pretty cool once they actually. That's really, in the Olympics? It's in the Olympics. Yeah. Um, but with but you tennis, play though, half the court, I could maybe still come back. If they had two weeks and it was like, here's the tennis, it's going to be doubles. We're going to put it in this awesome location. There's a lot of prize money at stake. It's not going to happen. So you don't think that no. works? It's, never. I, 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 I'm not saying, I, I don't use the word never very often because I think that once you say it, it's, you know, you're proving that. Then, then you're opening the door. Well, not only that, it's just very rarely is it, you know, my kids never, you never are right. nice. You always do that. Uh, no, neither one of those. Okay. So I, I think doubles is on life support. You know, I watch it now and I'm like, are you kidding? Well, so let's talk about that. How do you improve doubles and make it so that it's something? Because I think. That's probably the Brian no, that's brothers my daughter, uh, complaining you know right now. Uh, hey, uh, why are you bad mouthing doubles? <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm so, the guy that loved doubles and somehow I'm the bad the guy thing. for doubles. But you're the reason why I, I'm not going to give up on this idea yet because not only is doubles fun to watch if it's done correctly, but the camaraderie of it is what I like. And that's what tennis is missing. Tennis is so individual, you versus me. I actually like the thought of, like, I like when the Williams sisters play doubles together. I like it also. I just don't think that it's visually at this point, the way they play it. Uh, it's just sort of wham, bam, thank you, man. Swinging for the fences people out there playing like they're on the singles court. The strategy of it's changed. Um, so what was it when you were doing it? What was the strategy? Well, I mean, there would be more of a, a sort of a build, you know, you chip to the guy, or they hit a low return. He builds up, maybe a guy poaches, maybe he doesn't. Now they just swing as hard as they can at everything. Just, you know, end it on the serve and to just go for a winner on the return. Every rally is sort of, guys standing in from the neck because generally they don't know how to volley. So yeah. the way to counteract that is stand very close to the net and just start moving one way or the other. The other guy stands back. It's like chickens with their heads cut off. All right. But I'm giving up. No, no. No, but you ruined it. No, I don't no, want it now. No, add, no. Forget it. Good, I'm out. What if, what if we use well, wooden rackets? Wooden rackets. <laughs> I think the cat's out of the bag on that one. <laughs> on the, a little, on little, little, All right. So doubles is dead. Doubles is what they should do, which they... Let them, since people like yourself like doubles, and I don't dislike doubles. I no, just no, find I it liked, to be, I liked doubles. I find it to be distracting to what we need to do to take the game to another level. I would eliminate the, like people that don't know the sport of tennis, they come on and there's two people playing singles and they have the doubles alleys, which aren't used. Why the hell are they even there? Yeah. Why not just have the court they actually use, for God's sakes, and maybe put people like VIPs or people around the court closer, mm. which we used to do at the Open, like family and friends. But, you know, Jack Nicholson would come and he'd have this seat. And that's inspiring, just like it was for the Lakers in the 80s or whoever it is. This is when these, you know, guys come in. This is a great come. idea. So well, you're saying you have, the, you have the umpire on one side and the players. 
Either the ball boys, umpires, obviously. The well, you don't need umpires either in tennis, which is the one sport that would be, if you really want to make the game exciting and really bring back trash talking, you eliminate the umpires. Oh, the self-call. You, oh, you, the, you, you the have players challenge. call their own things. You, you, the players call, but you have a challenge. So you could challenge them and people are like, oh, you cheated, you know, McEnroe, you did it again. And it would bring this whole element. It will never it's happen. Great. It will never happen. So, Oh, I shouldn't have said never. So my my wife plays a ton of tennis. And they, you know, they call their own stuff. And yeah. like once every three weeks she comes back, like, ah, oh, Slady today. And I, I ended up getting kind of in a fight at the, you right. know, in, in this whole story and there's bad blood after and you're right. It would be fantastic if that oh. was the Australian Open finals. And, you know, Federer and Nadal are coming to blows. It would be amazing. It would be amazing. You could I, have the challenges, right? You could have challenges that would allow you to go back and challenge what you thought the guy was cheating you. And you could convince yourself that the guy was cheating you. Yeah. Uh, even if it wasn't true. And then that would even add an added element of interest to when they call for the challenge and you wait for the replay. Because let's be honest, people cheat in tennis and we know who they are. Uh, There's not, some people who just can't help well, they themselves. Cheat, you know, people are always, you know, I would throw myself into this category where you sort of take the rules, you know, <laughs> you do, where you, you can take them. They, they use bathroom breaks as sort of ways to break momentum now. You know, they don't have to go to the bathroom. They'll tell you they did and you can't prove that they didn't. Right. And, a lot of diarrhea and tennis there. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of injuries that were not, you know, they make it up as they go along, you know, and you can get away with that. And from a sort of a, the spectacle of it, as a commentator, I look at, I sort of, sometimes I'm entertained. I'm like, here, this is taking it. This girl who I used to play team tennis with, one of the Chinese girls, she looked like she was going to have a heart attack. It was so hot and she fell over. Yeah. They put her back. They'd stopped the match for 10 minutes. I mean, there must be rules that you can't do that. After 10 minutes, she's getting looked at the doctor. She comes back on the court. She looks like, you know, she's going to drop dead. And you're thinking, what is going on here? Don't let her, don't put her back on this tennis court, whatever you do. And she was out and played a little. And you're thinking, what? I mean, but from the standpoint of there's drama, real drama, it was sort of, you know, if you see someone cramping, usually you've broken that person down. And that, uh, and, and, uh, that someone, should matter. That should matter. And yeah. that's what you try to do is break them down mentally or physically. That's the whole point. In the NBA, if LeBron got cramps, they wouldn't be like, we have stopped the game for 10 minutes as LeBron deals with his cramps. The, he would just have to leave the game. Or they'd have to figure something out. Like put the air conditioning on. Like what, what was right. it? San Antonio. Oh, San Antonio. Where cramping, I, <laughs> you know? I, I did the yeah, studio for that guy, game. guy. One day it was 89 or whatever. You're thinking, I'm yeah. oh, sorry, it wasn't 70. Not that right. LeBron is not the most amazing athlete, but they're right. not. It is lucky when uh, you have that sort of set thing. Yeah. It's a pretty nice thing. Wait a second. Let's go back to the the no umpire thing. Okay. So we get rid of umpires. Right. Players call their own things. So around the, around the court. The linesman you get rid of. You keep an umpire to call the score. So that they, I'm getting There's screwed up the linesman. There's just one guy Yeah, you know, the guy in the, the chair. The linesman, all the other so guys So he stays. Out. Yeah, he stays. He, or she, whoever it is. Players on the right or left. Maybe a couple courtside seats. Yeah. Down there, either way, maybe get like three Corner and three, the, four and you four. You can get a you go look at the old uh, seating arrangement at the open in the eighties, and you'll see that it's very cool. Other side, you could put people all down the line there. Are you kidding? It'd be that like could be floor like, seats. You know, yeah. They, listen, they didn't have floor seats until the eighties. I mean, I remember when I was oh, yeah. my uh, ex-wife, but my, when my first son was being born, and I think the Lakers were the first team that I can recall. Is eighty-six? My son was born. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I'm like, it's showtime with Kareem and Magic and Worthy and these guys. I mean, they're just showing a 30 by 30 now. Um, this thing, 
you I'm sitting here watching and go, this, this is just, this is too good to be true that I had a chance to do that. So the triple OT game, the Celtics and Suns played like 40 years ago, 1976. If you watch that game, there's, there's really no court sides and there's just nothing behind the basket. They didn't even put seats there. It's just like 28 feet of space. Oh, really? oh, and yeah. it's like, wow, what were they thinking back then? Exactly. They could have put all and, those. You know, and then they have no offense because you're sort of a reporter, uh, but they'd have sort these, of. Well, okay, I mean, barely. Yeah. But but they put like these on the on the floor seats at the garden. They do that. Yeah. Uh, you're like, wow, man, they get floor seats after they just roast us or, you know, and. They've pretty much stopped Just doing that with the us, press. Uh, yeah. They like stick them center, in the corners now. You see that seat up on the top? Right. Let me know how that is. <laughs> Courtsides. So why wouldn't the US Open do this? Uh, they did do it. Um, they should do it either way because the US Open court is big. Yeah. Arthur Ashe Stadium is a very big court. So there is room for that either way. I think they should do it absolutely. And I think there should be a way, especially at the big events, where you could have it where maybe visually for tennis, it's better if you don't have those other lines. Maybe. I don't think we've experimented enough is the point. You yeah, know, I you, agree you mentioned you. wood rackets. Um, if you look at baseball, uh, these guys, when they're young, they use graphite or whatever materials used. And then when you make it, when and if you ever make it to the you know, the pros, or not the pros, even the minors still use it, then you go to wood, wood bats. And that's, to me, is uh, what they should have done in tennis. But now it's too late. The game is just so much faster. And it just in terms of the economics of it, it just I don't think it could happen. But it would be interesting to see Roger Federer. My frame was a 78 square inches of wood racket. He's using a 98 square inch frame. That's so ridiculous. that's quite a big, big, bigger sweet spot. It allows you to swing harder, make contact easier. These guys haven't made. They didn't have it tough like us in the old the days. The nice cushy <laughs> shoes. They so, think, and they're like, oh, they're amazing athletes. And they're like, we're total bums. I, I you, right. like, you old farts couldn't, you know, move at all. But, you know, Borg was the fastest guy I ever saw on a tennis court to this day. No one I've ever seen is faster than him. I think your generation would have been okay with the advantages that everybody I mean, I think it done. would have been interesting to the idea of it's the fun part. He's thinking what, what I would have done. And um, it was also about getting in someone's head. It wasn't like Connors was coming on the court with me and saying, hey, how you doing? He wasn't exactly real friendly, and and I wasn't real friendly to Yvonne Lendl. And um, I mean, with Borg and how we got along, yeah. but for the most part, you're sort of battling and you're trying to get up some sort of anger and sort of hate, not, well, bordering on hatred. Well, Lendl was like a robot. I don't even he know how like, you were trying I, to get in his head. He I, was, was like, like barely Drago, a human. You know, yeah, he, he really was. Like from Rocky IV or something. He was unbelievable. So that was, that was quite a tall order. If I could get him pissed, I knew I'd accomplish something. I do think, I do... I'm a little suspicious how these guys are able to play five and a half hour matches and stuff. Just doesn't seem. Well, I'm suspicious of uh, not. This isn't the only sport we should be suspicious I, of. I'm, Just let's throw well, that down. As these guys know, I'm suspicious of everybody. You know, it's amazing um, that certainly they know more than they've ever known. And they yeah. certainly have better ways to sort of recover. And what you put into it. I mean, Milos uh, Raonic, who I worked with last year and still trying to, you know, want to help him. He's got these booklets, the detailed booklets of, you know, depending on how long he plays, uh, what exactly the meal he should put in afterwards. I'm like, Milos, it's not about that. Yeah. It's about you got some fucking cojones, man. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, and he gets that in a way. But he's, you know, he's so and I don't know what to what level and to what level that matters. And you wonder, like, how the hell do these people do this sometimes? It's beyond belief. I mean, I played two six hour matches in my life. I felt like I was needed to get 
a wheelchair when, right. I, when I walked off the court. Well, probably you before the match, you're probably having a cheeseburger and fries. No, no, it wasn't that diet bad. Soda. Well, you know, Borg had this, he had a, a, two hours before, which I also already found difficult, but he'd have a steak, a baked potato, and a vegetable. Every meal, a dinner meal. For every match he ever played. Never once did he get tired in a match. And he never was he. Maybe like that's father. why he retired. He had high cholesterol. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe he had a heart attack. <laughs> uh, when I when I spent time with you in 2015, the two things I remember more than anything. One is that you brought up that 84 French Open loss to Lendl, and you were going through it point by point, like 31 <laughs> years later. Like here's where it turned, and then this happened, yeah. and like you. It was like it was on an ESPN classic and you were narrating it, only it wasn't on an ESPN yeah, classic. Actually, you were tortured by it. Yeah, well, I actually start this book. Yeah, right? that's what I that's why I brought it up because yeah. you said earlier you started the book. Well, with because it, it really uh it's something that I have to deal with. And um every, That's crazy that you have to deal with that yeah. though. we so the thing that bothers you, you could add the Grand Slam, right? Well, the, just I it just I well I could have had it because I would have gone to Australia then, but I also just feel like uh beating myself. Yeah. You know, it's tough when you beat yourself and it's tough the way it all happened. But it's also tough because Paris is arguably the most beautiful city in the world. And there's uh, anyone, my wife or I'm sure any woman alive and most guys would, hey, let's go to Paris. It's every building you look at. It's just an extraordinary yeah. spectacle. And I've been doing commentary for the past 25 years. So I go. It's nice. You get to go to the front. I mean, the majors basically is what I do, which is great. But it's the scene of the crime. Exactly. So I just can't help. And then my good friends always seem to bring it up after a couple drinks. Um, uh, hey, John, what happened? Are, are you kidding me? You're going to ask me about this now again? Did you yes. ever pull a major out of your ass, though? I mean, maybe there was the bizarre equivalent of not, it that when you shouldn't um, have won, that you won? Well, it's probably a, not to that degree. No, yeah. no, no. I actually blew a couple more than I would say I uh, was able to steal one. I mean, I had a couple moments. I didn't, I wasn't. Which one do you think you borderline st stole? Well, I think the, the year that um in 80, which is my be probably best year, I beat Lendl in the quarters in the, at the open. And the next day I had to play a five set doubles match in the finals. And then this is Friday. So that was, it should have been a day off. Then Saturday I played Connors in the semis and I beat him seven, six in the fifth where I was down. Ooh. Yeah. I remember that, that one. That could have gone either way. And I was down in the fourth after being down two sets to one. And I came back. And then the next day, because there was no day off, I had to play Borg after I'd lost him into that 80 Wimbledon final, which is the most famous one I was ever part of. And I was two sets up and I was then I was, it got to a fifth set. Like I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to blow it again. So that was probably my proudest moment that I pulled that those three off in a row and beat those guys and showed that I could people like, oh, God. You know something? You look fitter now than you did when you played. I'm like, no. Yeah. Here's, here's my track record. Because a lot of it's mental. And, and and it's not even close physically, even though I take pride that I'm still in shape or whatever, yeah. but this is not even comparable. I'm proud to say I watched the, the 80 Wimbledon match live. I'm really? sure you get that you a lot. You and 100,000 other people. Yeah, I know. I it's know. amazing. It's a 13,000 seat stadium. I You're probably about, and I hope you are one of them, but one of the 100,000 people that have literally come to me and said, I was there when you played. I'm like, No, I, I wasn't there, but was I watched a, it. <laughs> you know. I watched all your stuff back then. No, but that was... Uh, to me, it was like the fist comb run in the 75 World Series where we lost the World Series, but we had the fist comb run and you you lost the match, but you yeah. won the fourth set. It was basically the same thing. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, 
it was amazing that uh, that's obviously one of the few matches, most obvious one where I uh, knew something was like special going yeah. while it was going on. Yeah, it was yeah. just this in intensity and energy that was amazing. That I didn't want to ask you about it because it's the, probably the question you get the most asked, but it, we had well, to at least gloss over it. It, it is because uh, it's certainly, well, I mean, it's a match I'm most proud of. Because well, it's the greatest match of all I don't, time. I, I didn't write about it much in the second book because yeah. I'd certainly written about it in the first one. But it, And it's not that I'm not proud of it. I am. Ah, it's, and it's, it's not that I'm not, you know, to say that you're part of like one of the best matches in a sports history is is great. Uh, most people don't remember I lost. You know, they think like, oh, yeah, that was great. You that's won the like tie the, That's why it's like the fist so that's People what, don't even remember exactly. the Red Sox lost. So that's series. also good. Yeah. You know, I don't bother to tell them that I dumped a fifth set. Um, but at the same time... Um, it's a long time ago, you yeah. know. So to me, it's uh, it's 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 got its own folklore. It's not like I want to go re watch it again and and say, oh, because you're always like, oh, that tiebreaker was amazing. Well, it's good because you have the documentary now, so it's it's kind of this. It's got the snapshot now. Well, I had that's the just documentary live from on. a few years ago. Then I had this movie that's coming out that I've had nothing to do with. The Shia LaBeouf is, is yeah. What's going? I was afraid to ask you about that. Are uh, we okay I'm, with I'm this movie? I'm afraid to talk about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's good. Okay. I mean, I don't want a movie about me and Bjorn, and I'm pretty sure it's about this match in 1980. I don't know what. How are they going to handle the left-handed thing? Apparently, they did something where somehow they reversed the sort of the way they film it or something. I'm out. I'm out too. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> that sounds horrible. No, well, that they make him. He plays because he's righty. They make it where he's lefty. I don't know how they do that. That's beyond me. Tennis movies have always been just doomed. I'm, I'm more concerned about the size of his legs. So when I saw him, I'm like, wait a minute, I did have some pretty strong legs, and right. those look a little spindly. But um, he supposedly, <laughs> I know he's crazy, which may be good for yeah. this particular role. But he's also supposedly a good actor. I haven't seen a lot of his work. And I never actually have spoken to him yet. And um, this all sounds uh, terrible. <laughs> and I None haven't of this seen. Sounds good. I didn't see. I kept saying to these people because they want me to sort of get involved and promote it. And I'm like, look, well, first I want to see it because I want to see if this is the a disaster that the other tennis movies have been. A couple of which I was in. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to. Which be, ones were you in? Uh, uh, Wimbledon. I was a commentator. A lot of, lot of close, tight shots of Kirsten Dunst over yeah. the wide shot well, of whether uh, she could hit a tennis ball or she, not. Uh, and, yeah. and, then, and then they said, like, you really got to express it. And it was like, unbelievable shot. <laughs> but I go, that's not. I think they really prefer what, what I sound like. Yeah. And that's good enough. No, no, let's really ham it up. Yeah. Incredible. So I just like this, wow. I go, oh my God, I am so bad. I was like my worst, one of my worst roles, uh, feature roles. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think, what are the other tennis movies? Spring, uh, there was Spring one, Break with Carling Bassett. Uh, I missed that one. Yeah, um, you were still playing when that uh, happened. It was actually, uh, it was called Players in 1979. It was uh, Dean Martin Jr. Yes. Ali McGraw, Maximilian Schell, Steve Gutenberg. I mean, a pretty good cast. All copies have been destroyed. Uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a, that would be including my again my cameo was pretty abysmal even though mm. Bob Evans directed it. Bob Evans, he was a producer of the movie and kid I, that stays in the picture. Yeah, and you he, probably spent some time at Bob Evans's house in the eighties. Not too much. I was more you were my father-in-law. Yeah, but you know by that time uh, Ryan was up at Farrah Fawcett, so I didn't see him too much. Which probably as as we all know might probably, not have been the worst. Yeah, probably thing. probably a good thing. Uh, uh, 
So then Borg, when did Borg leave after the 80 open? 81. 81, 81 open, yeah, yeah. open, he just walked out and uh, that was it. He kind of never... kicked his ass. I felt like that was one of the reasons. Yeah, but, I mean, eh, it was a mild ass kicking. You know, you, you, you could say that uh, things can change uh, in a year. You never know. Like someone gets injured or things happen. You have people have life things, uh, kids, who knows, you know, they yeah. complicate things. There's no reason at 20, he was only 25. Now, if you think Federer at 35. That'd be a scandal now if that happened. Yeah, somebody well, just retires at age it was 25. A it was a scandal then. Uh, yeah. To me, it was a shame. I mean, he was my best rival and he walked away. I was like, look, I'd rather lose some more to him because I think the game was getting so exciting. You've been, I mean, you've talked about this before, but just it was, you you had a loss after that happened. Just you never were able to fully replace it. I think I did a couple of years later. I had the best year, but for a couple of years, I was sort of floundering in a way. I'm mean, not yeah. still doing well and um, finished the year number one a couple of times, but they weren't my best years. Those two, and it was sort of it was disappointing. It was hard to handle. All the attention sort of was placed on me, and so that took a lot. Uh, I, I just I don't know if I was prepared for that. I really didn't anticipate that he would do that. None of us did. We were yeah. all completely shocked. I remember when he first told Vetus and I that he was going to quit. We thought he was kidding. We just thought he was BSing us. And then <laughs> he said, "I'm not playing anymore. I'm quitting." And we were like, "Yeah, yeah, right." Sort of like that. And then we went to this press conference. This is in Australia when he first told us. And they said, well, how do you feel about next year? Uh, it was one of the first questions. I'm very excited about next year. I can't wait. And we're like, what the hell? Because he said the complete opposite yeah. to us. So needless to say, we were confused. But they also did some acidine things like our association. And the, uh, I'm not going to bore your yeah. listeners with the details. But it got ugly where it was just um, in a way he was forced out. And this is like, if you force LeBron James out because, you know, he, he's too, he's, he's got his, his muscles are too strong. So, you know, you're not allowed to play again until you lose some of that muscle mass, yeah. you know, cause it's, it's not fair to the other players. You know, it was almost as if they said to him, unless you do certain things and sign certain forms, you're going to have to go play the qualifying, which would be put, you know, That's insulting. put the guy in yeah. the Vegas summer league or something. You're like, what? Yeah. This is our greatest player, you know, ever, biggest player we've had. And you're going to treat him like what? So, you know, tennis is really screwed up in that way. I think uh, how you've described with the void not having Borg there, it always made me wonder, like with Jordan after he won the first three, and he just didn't have a rival, right? He's just looking for a rival, looking for a rival, magic leaves. He kills Clyde Drexler. He the next year he beats Barkley. There's really nobody on the horizon, and you know there's been a million theories why he retired that first time. Yeah. But I always felt like that was part of it. Whereas you look at somebody like LeBron, and from the moment he showed up in the league, he had these carrots being waved in front of him. You know, he had to beat the Pistons, then he had to beat KG and the Celtics, and then what he about had the to, Knicks? I mean, the, 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 he never well, never was really that worried about the Knicks. You didn't even mention Ewing. He had to overcome the, the Spurs, Knicks. and now he's got the Warriors, and it's just all these carrots. I'm talking about Jordan. Yeah, I mean, well, come on. But um, but I think I no, think that's I think important. There's, there's, It'd be great, is you need that carrot kind of dangling. I mean, that's what was so great when you see Larry and uh, Magic. Exactly, it's the greatest. And so Jordan came along, and he was in a way. Um, I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan, but I tried to. I wouldn't sort of, be against it. I would sort of get. I was to, one of your biggest fans, so I right, support thank it. You. But no, but just in terms of following like Connor's yeah. Borg. Oh yeah. And then you try to get in that mix and get respected. And Jordan eventually did that. He's become the greatest player, you know, ever or him and whoever you want to ask. 
And but even then, you still have this thing about magic and and Larry. You, in a way, that elevates them now even to another thing. Wow, totally. isn't it great they got it together? And and I had this thing with Bjorn where I sort of maybe bypassed what was going on with him and Connors and become like the equivalent of magic and Larry, and then lost that. Yeah, which was a bummer. Well, yes, because had a it great wasn't stylistic. the same with Lendl. You know, no offense, right. even though Lendl, Lendl was arguably, you know, could be better. Some people could say he was a better player. No, but I wouldn't. But but uh, but nonetheless, there was a, a void. You know, Mats Vlander was a great champion, but he wasn't Bjorn Borg. Yeah. So, what what is that thing? What are the 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 board that people hit the tennis balls against? Some backboard. Blank? Is that what it's called? The backboard. Right, the wall or the wall, whatever. Yeah. That was Lendl. That's uh, that was his style. Supposedly, it just felt like it was just like hitting. Yeah. There was no personality, there was no charisma to it. That I didn't feel like there was Nothing's an artistic changed. anything to yeah. it. It's still the he's same. He's just like he's a tennis a, robot. You should see him coach. <laughs> he's like that too. Yeah, the uh, the the Federer and Nadal, and the fact that that's still going. Do you think they have that for each other? Do you think they measure because they're Federer is such a nice guy? I wonder if he measures anybody against himself. I don't. I don't know what I think he. In terms of uh, like, do you think he point? wakes up going, "I got to beat Nadal. Uh, I want to be the champion of this." He knows that uh, Nadal's made him a better player, and vice versa, which is important. Yeah, he's probably like grateful for him, yeah, right? He is exactly. That's like he appreciates the fact that people used to hit to his backhand, so therefore his backhand could get better. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, how does he turn lemons into lemonade? That he does an incredible job of that. So that's the way Roger is. Nadal, you can see he tortures himself, even though he's an amazing athlete, obviously, but he's so OCD and he's touching everything and he got to move. And you know, and Roger's just sort of cruising around and he's got. You know, touching every part of his body, every point, he'd drive anyone crazy. Yeah. You almost hope he'll lose a little so he doesn't have to do this, you know. <laughs> the poor guy. I don't know what he's going to do when he's retired, man. He'll be like an Evian dealer, you know. She's <laughs> <laughs> working at Starbucks. So, just so it's not easy coffees. being out there. I, you know, had my own things. Uh, so I'm not sitting here saying that it's, it's, and in certain ways, it's great. But uh, Federer, um, he loves everything about it. I would, more towards say, hey, I wanted you certainly measure yourself up at the people around you, whether it's Connors, Borg, Landau, whoever. Yeah. Then along came Sampras and Becker, and I'm like, oh my God, these guys are much bigger. They're hitting it a lot harder. I've lost like a, a third or a half a step, and this is bad situation because they're just coming out and just swinging for the, you know, they're serving bigger than anyone I'd ever seen in my life. Nothing had ever come close to what I saw with Becker and Sampras, any server. Yeah. I played Becker at 18 in an exhibition in Atlanta at the old Omni, I believe. It was like great crowd. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's got the biggest serve in the history of tennis. And he's 18. I, and not only did he ever, you know, he'd be diving and, you know, vol it's not like, you know, you get the ball back, you've won the point. You still have to deal with, you know, he's got a great forehand or he's willing to die for volleys, all this other stuff, which was real exciting at the time. I loved watching bars. I hated playing him. Becker to me is like almost like a Penny Hardaway type for in tennis history. Where, I'd say way better than that. Well, Penny Hardaway was top five All NBA during a really good year. I'm, one, I'm just trying to think year. of like some basketball you know, one one or two years. I so probably, how many years was Becker? Well, Becker he was at the he top? only was number one um, very briefly, but he won six majors. Oh, that's better than Penny Hardaway. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Maybe he's, it's, he's along the lines of uh, it would have to be someone like. Um, like a, 
I wasn't going to say Tim Duncan, but it's going to be someone, somebody who uh, won a title and then someone got hurt. won more than one title, like numerous titles uh, that uh, a power forward type guy like Elgin. I don't know how many did Elgin Baylor win. That's too far back, but um, uh, not Scotty Pippen. He's a little, I'm trying to think like, cause he never gets mentioned at like all anymore. Carl Malone type guy, but Carl uh, Malone didn't win anything. Right. You know, Charles maybe Barkley, like a Barkley. he always talk about, because I I did a couple of things with uh, Bob Casas, I think we yeah. did on your on the record, or I, yeah. I think that's what it's called. And sometimes, because I'd be on the panel with him and Chris Collingsworth, and I'd think, well, these guys obviously are great at what they, you know, in their own way, they're great commentators. But they'd be sitting there telling everyone what they want, you know, how to do this or how what you need to do. And I'm thinking, did they ever win any? As far as I know, they never won. Either one of them won one. But that right. shouldn't be because they look, ah, oh, you're some wimpy tennis player or whatever. But it, to me, it was sort of you have to be a little bit careful, even if, you know, it, obviously in football, you got a lot of other people and even in basketball. In basketball, you did I too. mean, to me, Barkley got conned by Jordan totally like that year. Like, one thousand Let's go play agree. golf and, yeah. uh, you know, buddy. And then he fell for it and he should be sitting there. That's what he, that's his version of Paris, for, you know, to me. Yeah. Would be, he's got to live with that the rest of his life. Cause I think he could have won it, but he just was too busy wanting to be, you know, Michael's buddy. It started with the dream and, team and so the year it, before. So, so it appeared. I yeah. mean, I don't know. No, it started and, the and dream Charles, team. Charles to me is obviously really good at what he does. And he's turned out to be a lovable guy. Um, and he's, uh, he was a, you know, great basketball player, but he got burned. The way I got burnt, yeah, is the way I look at it. But so what held back Becker? Just out of curiosity, why didn't he? Why didn't he? Why was he one of the top six players? Ever? Becker's going to be one of the top ten or fifteen. You know, his body didn't hold up too long, um, and he's a tremendous player. He got to seven Wimbledon finals. He won three of them. So wait a second. It sounds like we're talking about Shaq then, maybe Shaq. Because Shaq was like the twelfth best player ever, and yeah, probably should have be, been like the fifth. Uh, yeah, that could be about right. Yeah. That's unbelievable Cause, athletes. Cause he's very he's very big he was extremely like unusual for a, a, a tennis player the, that build you know yeah. he, he looked like he'd be sort of a you know he stood up real straight uh, with the posture and intimidating six three which for tennis at that time would be the equivalent of about i don't know about seven feet or seven one but you know six eight in basketball is he the, yeah is he the greatest athlete who's ever been a good tennis player uh who he's becker he's got to be up there Trying no, to think. he's not the greatest athlete. He isn't the greatest athlete, actually. He Who do you think remember. it is? Uh, the greatest athlete I would. Who was ever good? Borg to me was the you know was was the fastest, and then Djokovic is sort of the most sort of Gumby like and you know ability to play sort of like in in crazy positions. Yeah. And Roger's the most beautiful player I've ever seen play, and Nadal is an like amazing specimen. Yeah. Those are the guys I put like up there at the, at the very top. And Lionel became a machine, but that's, he's not at their level. Yeah. I don't think, but you know, that's a pretty high level. So even though you get this question all the time too, just for my listeners. So you think Sampras is the greatest ever on grass? Yeah. I think Sampras, uh, they would, the, these players now, they scoff at me and they say, oh, they, they return to serve too easily. I don't, by it again, the grass is different than when he played. It's easier. It, it's a truer bounce, which I think all of us would have preferred. Yeah. Why not? We were taught shorter backswings and take the ball in the air because there was a lot of bad bounces. Now there's a lot better, so that people can afford to stay back. Although I think they stay back way too much. But Pete to me was the greatest fast court player. Rod Laver was my idol, so I put him up there. 
And then I put, uh, well, two years ago, before Nadal started having a lot of injuries, I thought Nadal's overall record was better than Rogers. I would have, was going to give him a slight edge over Roger. Now I've shifted back to consistency-wise an overall record. Rogers is better. And he's recently beaten Rafa three times in a row. If he had lost that Australian match, you could have swung back at 3-1 in the fifth when Nadal was going to pull that out of his rear end yeah. and win that thing. You would have said, oh, because that was the fastest court I've ever seen an Australian Open played on, which is not normally Nadal's best service. And he was handling, he beat Milos in the quarters. He had that five hour match with Dimitrov, who's trying to make a name for himself, can't get over the hump. Then he's got 3 1 against Federer. So those those are the you know the four guys I put one two three four and then I probably put. But you like, were the one who said I thought you you had to say by the surface it. though right? By surface, yeah, like slower court I put Nadal and then like a hard court I put Djokovic, and overall I put Roger because he can play in all of them. Right. So for year round you'd go Roger. Now what if year he round. is like in my basketball book I did this whole thing about the wine bottle team where I put together the greatest the greatest uh, team, but you had to use the actual year. You can't just be like, I've picked LeBron James. It'd be like, all right, what year LeBron James? Oh. You give me 2013 LeBron James or, and same thing. Magic's a really good example. Cause it's like, do you want 87? I score more magic <laughs> or do you want 85? I'm just completely selfless. I'm the point guard magic. Um, yeah, that's a tough call. So who would you, what, what wine bottle tennis player would you pick? If you had to go through one season, all four tournaments. Uh, Djokovic, uh, when he won, you know, the last, he was holding all four at once. And so, yeah. you, you know, this past French. I mean, when he won the French last year, he had all four. Now he's got none. So he's like become somewhat of a shell at what he was a year ago, which is almost as surprising as, as him winning all four at the same time. Because that hadn't been done for 37 years. And then he's, then he... Fell off a cliff. Well, he's had, you know, some, I, I don't know exactly, but some off-court stuff that's complicated things. And then uh, I think Roger, 2005, won three of the four, and he was mm. in the finals of the French, the one he lost. Connors, 74, won all three. They didn't let him play the French. Yeah, screw I'd Connor. To, I'd I'm, no, to, I'm not giving Connors time We don't want to give Connors no, that same Forget list. that guy. Uh, then we got uh, Nadal. Uh, what was your to, wine bottle year? Mine would have been the 84 when I won the Wimbledon in the U.S. and I was in the you know match no. I lost to the French. Then right. I would have won all three and then gone to – I didn't play the Australian that year. I pulled out. And I didn't play only in the beginning very much. So that would have been – you know I won – I was like 82 and three or something that year. And I believe Jesus. I should have been you know, 83 and two. And then I could, or even better, and yeah. I would have gone to Australia and tried to win the Grand Slam, but then it's just uh, screwed it up. Um, so, that would be for me. And then um, I'm trying to think of Nadal's. I mean, he's so, he, it's hard to say with him, uh, probably five, six years ago, when he won the Wimbledon, he thread the year, the 2008 Wimbledon final was the best match I'd ever seen. And that year he won the French, and I can't remember what he did at the Open, but I pick him that year because that was an amazing match. He beat uh, Federer nine seven in the fifth. Hmm. And Serena is still the best tennis player of all time if you're measuring her versus whoever the second person she was going against so. is. Right, the I gap between so. her and number two is much bigger than any men's tennis. Anything. I don't know. I mean, you know, not on clay. You know, I think like Steffi on clay or Hennon and Justine Hennon would, would cause some serious problems. But anything like on a quicker court, I think she's the best. Uh, yeah. And she could could win on the, uh, the clay too. I mean, she's just an amazing athlete. And um, But even more so, because she obviously is an amazing athlete, but uh, her will. 
Yeah. She's come back from more matches where she's match point down than any player I've ever seen, you know, and won the tournament or won that match. And that's not easy to do. I didn't do that that much. And so, and she's had a, you know, had it a lot, you know, 10 times or 50 times or however many times more difficult than someone like myself being a black girl in a, in a white man's game, basically. So uh, the fact that she's overcome that and been able to be as successful is, says a lot about her. I mean, one is that she's so much better than everyone, but also that she's been able to persevere. Her sister was killed and yeah, about 10, 15 years ago. So that, and she had a life-threatening ill. You know, she's had a lot of stuff. Who's the best under 27 tennis player right now, male or female? Under 27? Um, let's see. Do we have a future there's, A-lister in the mix? There's like a, the, the the Zverev is, is this 20 year old German guy is yeah. going to be he's going to be big time. Okay, um, he's going to win majors. Uh, I th- wish is that a Wimbledon sleeper pick? No, I don't think he's ready yet. But I wouldn't put it past him in the right set of situations. He was in like the semis. That's what always happens in Wimbledon, though. Somebody the year we don't think they're ready yet. That's the year they break through, right? Um, they probably said that about you. And- when's the last time that someone, you know, maybe Leighton Hewitt in two thousand two? But you know, if you think about the guys, you know, Federer's one right. seven, Nadal's one two, Djokovic is one two, Murray's one two. I'm trying to think of who the other person is, but the, you know, Krychek in '96 came. You know, even he wasn't out of nowhere. You know, he yeah. was like the third best cl- grass court player. It's very, it's very hard to be out one, of nowhere. One reason now. I work with Milos, besides I like him. You know, he's a good kid and he's extremely serious and wants to make himself better. Is that I, he was one of the few guys I thought that could win Wimbledon. You know, there's mm. only like six guys to me that could win it. Right? It's a small group. Not there's other guys that could make a run and cause problems, but they're not going to win it. You so know, who are the six? The six would be um, uh, Roger, uh, Rafa, uh, Nadal. I mean, I said uh, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, Milos. Um, I would throw in um, Kyrgios, you know, I, although I'm not, I don't think mentally, you know, he he's gets me more. I mean, he's a talent that could do it. I would vote for him more to start an international incident at Wimbledon That's than true. actually winning Wimbledon. I'm, it's a shame, you know, because we really need him. And uh, yeah. he, he's, he got, uh, he's just, but, you know, Del Pocho is, uh, I like him a lot. I'm hoping he's going to have a good sort of couple of years because he's had a lot of injury problems. But like, I look at Vavrinka, who's won three majors, the same as Murray. I don't, I don't, even though he's like a tremendous player and turned out to be, you know, first round Hall of Famer, I don't think he could win Wimbledon. All right, I left some stuff on the bone for the next time you pass through town. Beautiful. I left, there's some some scoring ideas I have. I have some ideas. There's other stuff I want to talk about in the 80s, but we'll save it for the next time. But really serious, when maybe the really seriously book comes out. But yeah, this, I think this is book. but seriously. No, no, I, I think um, the book hopefully will be uh, something that will be uh, looked at favorably. And hopefully people will get an interest out of it. It's more like my last 15 years because I did this other book. So I'm yeah. hopeful that uh, people will have some fun with it and hopefully see that I'm um, having some fun with myself and that I've learned a little bit over the years. I mean, Lord knows I'm 58 for God's sakes. So I better <laughs> learn something, right? Bill, thanks for having me. John Macro, thank you. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, 
a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.